Um, well, like Rachel said, uh, my name's Abby, and I have the privilege of just sharing a little bit um, from the word before Sharon comes up this morning. And I realize that probably a lot of you don't actually know who I am. Um, and so uh, my name's Abby uh, Schaller. My husband, Charlie, and I have been married for almost nine years, which feels crazy to me. Um, and we lived in Iowa City for the last seven years. And I had always sort of dreamt that the Lord would give us kids, that he would give us you know, a couple just like sweet, meek, quiet little girls that my days would be filled with baking cookies and princess tea parties, um, which those of you who have girls, that's probably true of your life, right? Um, but I actually have two rambunctious, noisy, smelly little men um, in my house. And so Jack is almost four and Leo is about seven months and um, I just love them like crazy and they are crazy. And so um, we are on staff with a college ministry called um, Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ, if you've heard of that. And so we've started um, giving leadership to that team um, at the university for the last six years. Um, and this fall is sort of a unique year for us. Charlie has started grad school. He's getting his MBA. And so we're still on staff, but we both have stepped down from leading that team. Um, and the, the transition this fall um, has, to be honest, surfaced a lot of things in my life. Some of those things are really good things, um, but some of those things have been really hard um, and have even surfaced just some really ugly things in my heart and my character. Um, and so I find myself this fall now more than ever just really hungry to find a group of women who get my life. Um, whether it's because they, they're here with me, they've got little ones at home and they totally get that world, or because in the not so distant past, they were here with little ones um, and they remember what that life is like. Um, and so as I've thought about what to share to kind of kick off our morning, um, I feel like the Lord has wanted me to show you uh, what is in my bag. So Now, as I look out there, I see a lot of really cute purses, um, and I hope to rejoin the, the purse club at some point in my life again. Um, I used to be there, but right now I'm in the diaper bag camp. Anybody else in the diaper bag camp with me? Okay. Um, and so this is my monstrosity. I, um, I wore out my first diaper bag, and so I got a new one this winter um, for Leo, but I love this bag because it has about a million different secret little pockets, and I can basically fit everything needed for survival and life into this bag. Just don't ever ask my husband to find the keys. He can never find them. It always results in conflict. So um, so here are some things that I brought today. I have my, um, my sippy cup. Well, not mine, but, you know. Um, diapers, I got a pacifier in here, I've got toys to buy some extra minutes in the checkout line, um, and then extra clothes, because I feel like as a mom, you're either, you be prepared or be sorry, right, is kind of the reality. Um, and I am obviously firmly in the season of life that some people kind of affectionately call the little years. I prefer to refer to that as living in the trenches because that is sort of what it feels like. I am just trying to survive basically every day. Um, and so I've got that. I've also got my little to-do list, um, whether it's in my bag, my grocery list, or you know, hanging up on my fridge, or just kind of mentally in my brain, I've always got my to-do list. And um, there used to be a day where I would check things off my to-do list, and at the end of the day, that list was gone. Do you guys remember that time? Yeah. Um, and, and now I check things off my list and like three more things take its place, you know? And it's not just stuff that you check off once, but it's stuff that you check off and then you need to redo it about 15 minutes later and then redo it again. Um, and so I feel a little like I'm going crazy some days, but... Um, and then I have, lastly, I have some personal items in here. You know, I've got my gum, I got some mascara, um, a headband in here, some body spray. Basically just trying to disguise the fact that I may not have showered today. Um, I may not have put makeup on or brushed my teeth. I used to judge people who would say they didn't get a chance to brush their teeth. And then I had a second baby and I was like, oh, that's like really low on the to-do list. So... That is my life. I did brush my teeth today, so just so you know. Um, and so I just think motherhood is nothing if not glamorous, right? Um, and so there are some other things that I am bringing um, in with me this morning that I can't quite as easily pull out of my bag. But I feel like I'm bringing in with me um, just some loneliness. 
I can't tell you guys how many times in the last six weeks when I've had like a quiet moment to myself, kind of a rare thing, um, but where I've just cried because I've just felt so lonely. Because although I'm, I'm physically never alone, right? I haven't peed with the door shut in years, <laughs> probably. Um, I, I'm physically never alone, really, but often in my days, I just feel so alone and feel so just isolated. Um, and so I am coming here uh, to Hearts and Touch just hoping to find a couple buddies or, you know, five or ten buddies who will just kind of live in the trenches with me this year. Uh, women who don't live, you know, 300 miles away like my college buddies, but women whose faces I can see on a regular basis, women who can meet me, you know, with our kids at the park, um, things like that. And so I'm bringing in just some loneliness um, and some need for friendship this, this fall. Um, I would also say I'm bringing in some anxiety and some insecurity. Uh, you guys, I have I've gone from being in a position of leadership in a job that I pretty much know how to do, right? And I tell people what to do and they do what I tell them to do. Um, and now I spend a lot of my time at home alone with my boys teaching and disciplining and training these little boys. And I'm not even all that sure I'm doing it right. You know, like I just, I don't know if I'm doing it right. And Charlie and I had some conflict a couple um, weekends ago, Sunday night, and he's trying to get ready for his week. And um, I'm laying in bed exhausted and he's looking for some clothes and a lot of his clothes were dirty and the clean ones were smushed into a laundry basket, all wrinkled and stuff. And he was feeling frustrated. Um, And he kind of looks at me and he's like, so babe, is it just that you like don't have time during the day to do the laundry? And we had some words. Um, and we resolved it, but you know, he tries to enter into my world, but he, you know, he just, he isn't there to get it. And so I'm coming in kind of, I just, I need a, a mom who is more experienced and a little further down the parenting journey than I am right now, who can kind of turn around and encourage me, um, who can lend me a little bit of hope and sanity, um, and who can challenge me to grow and pray for me. So I'm, I'm bringing in some insecurity. And then lastly, I'm bringing with me a lot of noise. Uh, you know, my kids are crazy noisy. Boys especially are really noisy, I think. Um, and so there's noise from my kids. There's sort of some internal noise in my own heart, voices of the enemy or my own perfectionism. Um, and then I think I'm bringing in some noise from the world, Facebook, Pinterest, kind of all the places that we hear, this is what a mom should do or should care about. Um, And so what I need is some quiet where I can kind of hear from the voice of the Lord. Um, I need to hear his voice in the speakers who are going to share their hearts this fall. I need to hear his voice as we sit at our table time and open the word and and share with each other. Um, I need to hear it from him. And so as I've sort of thought about what that looks like, um, I've been reminded of of some of Jesus's words. Um, So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, I'm just going to read the brief passage. But it's from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And Jesus is talking to a group of men and women who I think are a lot like you and I. They're sort of burdened and overwhelmed with um, the things that they have in their life. They're sort of trying to live for this unattainable bar. Um, And this is what Jesus says. Uh, He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Accept my teachings and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. The burden that I ask you to carry is easy, and the load I give you is light. And so as I've thought about our time together this year, as Rachel and I have talked, as the leadership team has talked and prayed, I really feel like this is sort of what we need, a place to come and kind of be who we are, come as we are, um, to be able to set down our loads for a couple hours and to learn from Jesus, from each other, and to get just a little bit of rest for our souls. And so whether you have walked with Jesus for many, many seasons of life, or whether you're just sort of exploring who Jesus is, um, or maybe you don't even really care who Jesus is, but you're kind of like me, you're craving some friendship, and so you're here. Um, I love that his heart is an invitation to come to him, to come and be with him and to know him, to discover that he is gentle and humble, that he's not like this um, this cruel dictator, you know, demanding of us, but that he can teach us the things that we need to know. He can teach us how to parent our kids, how to love our husbands, um, that he gives us rest. He doesn't add to our to-do list. 
but that he also invites us to set down the heavy loads that we carry so that he can kind of repackage them so that they're a little lighter and a little bit more manageable. So whoever you are, however you're coming in this morning, I came in super frazzled. <laughs> uh, one of you overheard me yelling at my toddler, hurry up, we're super late. Um, and so however you're coming in this morning, um, would you be willing to just come as you are? Um, to Both to Jesus and to each other, to be willing to not just pull out the pretty kind of Pinterest approved, put together parts of your life, right? Um, but to even unpack some of the unorganized or the unglued, some of the ugly parts of yourselves as well. Um, because I think that when we expose those ugly parts, it's so uncomfortable and I don't like doing it. I really don't. Um, but I think to be exposed in that way is to be known. Um, and I think that we all desire ultimately to be known and to be loved kind of right where we're at. Um, so let me pray to kind of transition our time, pray for our morning, and then I'm going to introduce Sharon to all of you guys. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you invite us to come as we are. I pray that that would be true, not just this morning, but that uh, Hearts in Touch and the, the uh, women's ministry on Wednesday mornings would be places for us to come and be who we are, to unpack the, the unpretty parts of our lives, um, to be known and to be loved. Would you use Sharon and, and the things that she's going to say in your word to teach us and to feed us and to give us rest for our souls, um, that we could leave here encouraged and equipped um, to love our family, to love you, um, and to, to love others in our community. So pray for Sharon. Would you give her wisdom and her words? Would you give um, weight to the words that she's going to share this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. So I love that I get to introduce Sharon to you guys this morning because I have come to really appreciate her, not just her wisdom, but her um, fabulous sense of humor as she kind of experiences life. Um, she is a source of just um, great uh, wittiness and creativity. She and her husband, John, have served at Parkview for the last year-ish, um, give or take, and, um, and they serve to give leadership to our Sunday worship service. So anything that you see as you walk in on Sunday morning that's like pretty or the stuff that's on the stage, the videos, the music that we experience, that has their fingerprints all over it. So they're a huge blessing to our church. Um, and a little, a little bit of life experience, uh, about a week and a half ago, she and John um, saw their daughter, Hannah, get married um, down in Georgia. And so she's coming in, I think, excited and happy and maybe just a little tired from her from her trip. But would you guys welcome with me um, Sharon Swinski. Relatively speaking. Thanks so much for having me this morning. Uh, Abby, that was awesome. That was so incredibly real and um, it takes me back to a million years ago when I was there and it's hard to believe you know you just sort of <laughs> pull those things out and I had a boy and a girl and I'm telling you she's so right boys noisy really I mean seriously the amount of volume increased when Jack showed up in our lives so um, just to give you just a little bit of a background a little bit more about who we are um, my husband John and I we have our daughter Hannah who's 21 and she did just get married in Atlanta what eight days ago. So anyway, that's Hannah and David. And actually, could you go back one, Ron, the first one? Jack is our son, and he was her man of honor. The two of them are crazy close. And so when he, it was his job to adjust her train during the wedding and hold the flowers and all those great things. In fact, a week before the wedding, you know, all the bridesmaids get together and they go have pedicures and Jack had a pedicure with the bridesmaids. <laughs> he was a really good sport about the whole thing. He really was. There's a picture that's coming from the photographer that um, they're taking Hannah's picture outside, like on a train track, and Jack's carrying the train <laughs> back to her desk on it. So that's Hannah and David. That's the mother of the bride, Janelle and I, and I'm going to be talking about her a little bit later on. We're incredibly close. And then, um, yeah, that's Hannah's wedding cake. Yeah, it's really Check out at Walmart with 1,200 Oreos. That was a lot of fun. 1,200 Oreos, and I was babysitting another kid. Um, I was taking care of one of my friend's kids, and he hadn't had lunch yet. And so he's, he's one of those kids that you want to have because he's a real rule follower, and he knows he can't have any of those Oreos because he didn't have lunch. And so he chooses as an apple. He's going to have an apple. And I'm 
you know, I'm just the babysitter, what do I care? So sure, fine, we'll have an apple and a whole bunch of Oreos. So anyway, he's, we're checking out with 1,200 Oreos and one green apple. <laughs> Lucas runs up to the clerk as I'm unloading these Oreos. He says, it's not for me. I'm not going to eat all of them. I'm going to eat the apple and one Oreo. <laughs> the clerk looks at me like, right. Anyway, so 1,200 Oreos, and that's Han and David. That's how they um, entered into life there. The whole theme was a airplane kind of thing because they travel so much. Actually, I think I'm going to switch. I'm kind of making an awful lot of noise here. Really? Rhonda said I was just going to get busted for that. Yeah. Take it off. With pleasure. Okay. So anyway, uh, they had a whole travel theme because the two of them um, lived in different states most of the time that they were courting. And uh, a lot of people have asked the question about how hard it is to plan a wedding when we're up here, and she's in Atlanta, and the whole everything's going on down there, and um, Hannah has wanted to be a missionary since the beginning of time, and all I could say is, I can plan a wedding in Atlanta, because I thought she'd be in Kenya by now, you know, so this was very doable. So that was just what we came off of. We got home less than a week ago, and um, are shifting back into the fall, which I know everybody else is here, too. I mean, even if you have little, little ones, life's just kind of change in the fall. Schedules change, everything sort of adjusts a little bit, and you are, we are all thrown into a whole new world. And I tried to explain, um, I had a friend from another country that was visiting, and I'm trying to explain the fact that this is not New Year's. This is, you know, this is several years ago, I was having a conversation with her, and we have New Year's in January, and September's not it, but boy, does it feel like it. It feels like the start of a billion different new things. And so the leadership here was kind of um, planning for the fall and thinking through, well, what do we need as moms? You know, what does every mom need? Which is a huge question right there. And we're at the end of this right now. You've been two, three weeks into the kickoff of the fall, everything. And you've gone to Target, and you've seen the list of everything every child needs for every grade, everywhere, in every school, right? Everything is there. All the school supplies. If you've got kids in preschool, there's a whole other list of everything they need. If you've got a little shift, you know, like Abby's husband going back to school, someone else, an adult going back to school, you've got a shift in what do they need to get going. And this morning we're going to sit down and talk about what do we need. Because there's no checklist at Target. I have checked. There's none for us. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking around like there's got to be something here that I need. I mean, there's a lot that I want at Target. I mean, really. But there's got to be something here that I need that's going to sort of like solve the craziness of the fall. That's going to sort of bring everything together. So I was doing a little bit of thinking and planning for this and the concept of what does every mom need. And a lot of times we as moms don't want to need anything. We don't want to answer that question. Oh, no, no, <laughs> I'll become Italian. No, no, take care of yourself, I find. You know, we just kind of back away from the whole thing. Unless we deserve it. Well, then if I deserve it, then suddenly it becomes okay. And there's a little tension there between the words, you know, we're okay explaining to our kids the difference between a need and a want. We can explain that to our kids, you know. You need oxygen, you want that toy. You don't need that toy and want oxygen. Let's, you know, we're kind of talking through this. So we understand the difference between those two, but to deserve something. And so there's a, there's a little bit of a history to how we get to this place of deserving stuff. And um, I, have a little bit, I have a background in communications and marketing, and I also have one in history. And I know I just lost all of you right there. You started blazing over. Oh, no, here she goes. No, really, it's good. It's good. Follow me. It gets really good. So in the early 1900s, all right, still with me. Good. All right. So in the early 1900s, everything was sold based on what you need. So you get the Sears Roebuck catalog back from the 1930s, and it was based on what do you need. You need food, clothing, and shelter. And you could buy food through the catalog. You could buy clothing. You could even buy shelter. You'd buy these houses. You'd go to Sears Roebuck. You'd find the house you wanted. It had one bedroom. It had a parlor and a porch. You chose that one. You filled out a form. You sent your payment in somehow through Western Union or whatever. And then eight months later, the parts of a house were delivered to your land, and then you assembled it. And it's just a crazy way of doing life. It's very fascinating to me because uh, right now, a couple years ago, my brother and his wife purchased a piece of land that has one of those houses from Sears Roebuck on it. And so they're setting about restoring it. And it is fascinating. I mean, to look at the original and that this came in a kit, but it's a house. And it's just amazing to look at the whole process. So then we hit, um, we hit the war, 1940s, we hit 1950s, and suddenly we have some time of prosperity. And you can see advertisers really start to have some tension. Because they, they still are selling things based on what we need, 
but there's a whole bunch of wants. People kind of are getting to the place where they need a car, but what they really want is a Pontiac. You know, that's a big thing. They need clean clothes, but they want one of them their fancy washer machines that come in your house. You know, so the needs and wants and the advertisers don't quite know what to do until 1970s. And the 1970s hit, and there's this theory that one commercial by one company with one word changed everything. The word was deserve, and the company was McDonald's. And it's you deserve a break today. And there's this whole thing. I mean, I want you to come back to this place where McDonald's was a luxury item. I mean, seriously, stop and think about that for a moment. You deserve, if I said to you, you deserve to go to McDonald's. <laughs> that means something totally different today than it did back then. So I don't know if you know this commercial. It's, it's like 1970s, which is so far before my time. But I pulled it up for you. Rhonda, that's that video that's back there. They're talking about McDonald's being super clean, which must have been important. <laughs> Or maybe not. I could sing it for you, but that's a whole other level of pain. <laughs> so does anybody remember the commercial? This is the whole You Deserve a Break Today. Oh, Bonnie. Bonnie could actually sing it, though. Bonnie could sing. Well, that's okay, Rhonda. We'll go ahead and go on. That's all right. So it was so successful, they actually kept this advertising campaign for about eight years, which is a long time in advertising. And then it came back again in the 80s. They brought it back out. Because there's something about us that wants to deserve something. So I've been kind of thinking through this whole thing. And this is about three months ago. And I thought, OK, I'm just going to start paying attention. We listened to a lot of radio in our house, talk radio, satellite radio. We were driving back and forth to Atlanta a few times. We had the radio on. Um, I was just going to write down. I was going to keep a list in my phone every time I heard the word deserve in a commercial. So here's the list I've come up with so far. And remember, this is just from my limited little life of a few stations, but here's everything you all deserve. Uh, you deserve a light bulb that can save you cash. You deserve life insurance you can count on. You deserve a quality carburetor. I made my morning. I woke up one morning, I thought, I'm not worthless. And I heard a commercial and I thought, I do. I do deserve a quality carburetor. You deserve affordable orthopedics. You deserve a better catheter. Okay, so here's my problem with that one. I mean, there's a lot of problems, but is there somebody who doesn't deserve a better catheter? I mean, because if you're telling me that I do, then I'm really worried about the person next to you. I'm sorry, you don't. I do. I'll take that better catheter. You deserve a day at the spa. This is my personal favorite. You deserve a Miller Diamond. Yes, I do. You deserve to win. You deserve to have so much more. There's a whole category that's based on the people and relationships. You deserve someone who makes you happy, will give you the world. You deserve someone who knows how to make things up. I don't remember what that was for, but it really stood out. You deserve someone who listens to you, who loves you, who would move mountains. That's a big list. Um, there was a country music contribution. You deserve, this is going through um, Tennessee, Nashville time. Country music contribution was you deserve more than a gun and a broken heart. <laughs> and your pet even has things that he deserves. There's, there was a whole commercial. Your pet, your, your dog deserves real meat. And I thought, no, you can't say that about all dogs. I have got a neighbor dog that is so yippy and has torn apart so much in our neighborhood. I just think, no, he doesn't deserve real meat. I mean, he deserves a very strong cage is what he deserves. So we're more comfortable sometimes having felt like we earned something, like we deserve something, rather than just taking something that we think we need or might need, but we just don't want to articulate that. We don't want to let anybody know that. And so I did my second part of research um, on the statistical, you know, I, the most accurate way I know is I went to Facebook because it's always true. And so I messaged my friends and I picked them from all over the country so that I have different cultures, different ages, different everything. And I said, okay, finish the sentence. What does every mom need? And, you know, this is a very busy group of all, just like all of us from all over. I mean, they got a bajillion things on and man, I had answers immediately. So I know that this is a hot button. This is a, something we're all very aware of, and you can finish that sentence yourself very easily. Um, but these are just a few that they sent in. Um, every mom needs someone to tell her it's okay, whatever it is. Every mom, needs, <laughs> every mom needs chocolate and coffee 
and a secret pleasure like coffee, coke, cookies, mix it all together, hoard it, hide it, enjoy it in the closet or the bathroom, lock the door if you must. <laughs> That's for my friend Sarah who has three little boys between the ages of two and five. So. My friend uh, Miranda who, she wrote, uh, what every mom needs is to know it's okay to make mistakes, no one is perfect or expected to be perfect. And Miranda comes from a really rough background. She's been a single mom and she's recently married. She and her husband are working really hard to change the, the history of their family and to change the, traje the trajectory of how they raise these kids. And so to hear her really accepting the fact that she's not expected to be perfect, I just love to get that answer from her. My friend Kim, who runs a preschool in Des Moines, said every mom needs opportunities to let go of her kids. Well, not literally letting go. I mean, watch your toddlers at the state fair. Hang on to them tightly. <laughs> so, so the preschool mom, well, wait, we need to watch. She's so good at that. Um, every mom needs a secret stash of blank. It doesn't matter what it is as long as it's all yours and they can't find it. <laughs> every mom needs alone time. Every mom needs to kiss her husband in front of the kids. Every mom needs to, oh, this one, she's so busted. So Michelle writes, every mom needs time to cultivate healthy body, healthy soul, but she's also the one that says chocolate and coffee at the top, so whatever. <laughs> needs to be able to laugh at herself without losing confidence. A sense of humor and a glass of wine with her husband once in a while. Um, my friend Sarah, who had moved away recently, she said every mom needs a friend who points them back to Christ in those hard, want-to-quit, want-to-scream, want-to-cry moments. Thanks for making me tear up today. I miss all of you. Um, my friend Heidi writes, a friend that will drop everything and come, either have a Pepsi with you or take your kids out for a little while. Someone who can make you laugh through the tears. Um, my friend Maria writes, Every mom needs to find her village. I'm still working on this, but I have to learn that I can't do this all by myself, but I often try. My friend Janet writes, every mom needs sleep, courage, the ability to know the difference between sleep and rest, and the ability not to take yourself too seriously. And a cleaning lady. Every mom needs a cleaning lady. <laughs> and my friend Dina writes, every mom needs to be known, really known, and loved anyway. I think all of our needs, you know, um, I think that that's a, that's a broad spectrum. And I know you all can fit, fill it differently. And what you write down today would probably be even different tomorrow because those needs kind of shift and change. And sometimes our needs aren't even driven by us. I mean, they're so driven by the circumstances and the little bodies around us and what's going on. So um, if you look at psychology and if you kind of analyze things, everything falls, they basically fall all of our needs into physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And the physical needs are the ones that kind of like Sears Roebuck handles real well, the food, shelter, clothing, those kind of things. Those are the physical needs we have. We also have a need for rest, which is, can be kind of evasive, especially if you've got the little ones who determine when you rest and when you don't. Uh, when Hannah was two and a half, and I was expecting Jack, I was like six months along, and we had a, um, John works on Sunday mornings, and we had an event sort of similar to Parkview had this past Sunday with a big kickoff. And so that morning hit, and he was gone crazy early. We were there all morning. We had a huge event that went over the lunchtime period. Hannah fell asleep in her stroller, which was awesome. We get home about 2 o'clock, and she is awake and super happy and into everything. I mean, she is just, she's two and a half, and she's awesome and wired. But John had been up since the crack of yesterday, and I was six, seven months pregnant with Jack, and we were tired. And we were sitting on the sofa thinking, this is not going to end well. So we loaded her up in the car. We drove two blocks down. We pulled beyond our friend Gary and Janet's house. We pulled beyond the, the tree line and hit our car. John scooped up Hannah. I stayed in the getaway car. <laughs> He scooped up Hannah, he runs up to the front step, puts a sign around her that we had made that said, please play with me. <laughs> Tied it with a string. And he's watching him from afar, and he looks at her, and he says, don't move. And he rings the doorbell, and he bolts, and hides behind the tree. And I'm watching, but don't judge. Y'all are thinking I'm a genius right now. I know you. <laughs> so I'm watching from between the trees, and my friend Janet, you know, she opens the door, she looks down reads the sign. She kind of looks out, and I know she's not expecting to see us at all. She opens the door. Anna goes in. John comes running back to the car. We get in the car. We go home and we sleep for three hours. I mean, we are wiped 
out. And at the end of the night, we went and grabbed pizzas. She had kids our kids' age, and so we took pizzas, like, it's kind of like a ransom kind of thing. I don't remember how it all turned out, but anyway, so this is that desire, that need for rest was a little bit out of control, but I had totally forgotten that story conveniently. And then a few years ago, we were with Gary and Janet, and the story came up, and Hannah was there. <laughs> she didn't remember it. And so they're telling the story, and I'm just watching her face. And she turns to John at the end of the story, and she said, you did ding-dong ditch with your daughter? <laughs> I mean, she was just mortified. You know, and I said, was that wrong? I mean, I'm a little unclear about the rules here. I mean, but I, I won't do it again, you know. That drive for rest will put us into crazy decisions, those things that you think, I just never thought. Like Abby said, I'd look at other mothers and say, I will always brush my teeth. Or not. Maybe not now. But, wow. We'll do anything just for a break. So those are the physical needs that drive us. We have emotional needs. And those are, um, those are a gift from God that we need to really understand. And we're not going to unpack all of that right now. But there's an emotional need we have for love and safety and security and peace. And those are gifts from the Lord. Um, we need to handle those well because they, they allow us to experience life so richly. But those emotions can control us and drive us in some pretty negative places. And so we need to always manage that those um, emotional needs carefully. Um, we need to be aware of what's going on in a situation. About three years ago, we were living in South Florida, and we had spent most of our lives living up in the Midwest. And when they were recruiting us to move down to South Florida, you know, I'm sitting at the table and I'm saying, oh, yeah, South Florida. What about the hurricanes? You know, what are we going to do about that? And the guy was, oh, my goodness. Hurricanes, no big deal, really. Because you can run from a hurricane. I mean, we got like a week or two weeks notice with most hurricanes. You just lock up your house, you board it up, you leave, you come back. It's a good vacation, you know. It's not like a tornado like you have here in the Midwest. And then he started telling me about the, all the scary things about tornadoes. And I thought, well, I know that. He says, you have like three minutes to run from a tornado. You run that fast? No, I don't. I don't. Well, I want to go to Florida where you have these gentle monsters called hurricanes, you know. <laughs> So we moved to South Florida, and we lived there a couple years before our first real hurricane came, and Hurricane Isaac came. But it, they were warning us for the week ahead of time. We could have boarded up. It was a hurricane. It was a Category 1. I mean, everybody's poo-pooing this thing. You know, it's only 74-mile-an-hour winds. It's only three days of torrential rain. You know, nobody's leaving. I'm like, okay, you know, the, the natives aren't leaving. I'm tough. I'm from the Midwest. I can handle blizzards. I can handle this, you know. So, so we stayed through it, and we're halfway through, and you don't realize until you're halfway through the hurricane, oh, this is stupid. We totally should have left. I mean, there are places that still have electricity, and they're still serving Diet Coke at McDonald's, and this is not one of them. I mean, everything is shut down. So we're in the middle of this Category 1, Hurricane Isaac, and what the guy failed to mention, and nobody else will tell you, but I'll tell you right now, the average hurricane, if conditions are favorable, will spawn dozens of tornadoes. You think you could have told me that? Okay, because wow, I had no clue. This is really bad. So I see the tornado watch come, and I see the hurricane and the tornadoes, and I'm seeing the watch, and my TV's exploding. There's like four little tornadoes, and my address is right in the middle, and I think this is not going to end well. So John had actually made it into work that day, so it was me, Jack, and Hannah who were in high school, and then a neighborhood friend who, for some reason, figured our house was safer than his, which really scared me. But so it's time to go get shelter, you know, the tornadoes are coming, but it's Florida. We don't have basements. And so there's this little walkway between our garage and our house that has the washer dryer and the Chester freeze in it and a little walkway, and it is tiny. And so the three teenagers and myself are going to pack in there to ride out the rest of the storm. So I say, okay, guys, we got to go, we got to go, we got to get in there. The tornado the sirens are going off all over, I can hear it. So neighbor guy goes in. Hannah goes in, I'm walking in, Jack's right behind me, and Jack says, Mom, what about the router? Well, the only thing I know about the router is it's, it's something that has to be unplugged during a storm. And that's the sum total of my knowledge, okay? So I'm like, wow, oh, that's right. Well, I knew two things. It's on the second floor of our house. It's way upstairs where the tornadoes are coming. And so I turned to Jack and said, you're right. You go and plug it. <laughs> because, Abby, that's why we had boys. That's why we had boys. They run fast in danger. So Jack runs upstairs. I'm admitting to you I will never be mother of the year. Have you gotten that message yet? 
so I go in the room, Hannah's already climbed, she's already raided the ice cream out of the freezer, she's climbing on top of the washer, I'm the neighbor guy's on the floor, I'm climbing on top of the freezer, and Jack shows up, he's unplugged the router, he shows up at the door, like in a split second, he's standing there with his guitar. Okay. In my mind, I'm trying to think, okay, what childhood book did I read to him where they bring a stringed instrument to a natural disaster? I mean, I'm just looking at this whole thing thinking, this makes no sense at all. And I looked at him and said, what? And he said, well, I thought, I thought we might want to sing. <laughs> uh, don't you do that whole he's so sweet thing. No, <laughs> this is foolishness at its worst. And so I look at Hannah, the voice of reason in the whole thing. I taught Hannah geometry. She's going to look at the space versus volume and equities, and she's going to say it doesn't fit. And so she looks at him, and she says, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm totally busted. And all I could think about at that moment was, okay, they are not understanding what is going on here, because I'm really feeling the pressure of this storm. I mean, I'm really understanding the fact that this could be hours locked in here with three teenagers and very little ice cream, and it's going to go fast. And he's showing up with a guitar. But on the other side of it, they were high school. They did know. They understood the situation. But their emotional need at that moment was to figure out how to get through this rather than just give in to the fears and everything around. And I loved that for them. I loved that they had another choice. I loved that when they looked at this situation, the two of them said, well, there's probably very little they can do to stop a tornado, which I hadn't realized yet at that point. And they might as well pass their time doing something they love to do. So we have these physical needs. We have emotional needs that we need to really make sure and rein in at times, like my fear at that moment. And then we have spiritual needs. But these things really aren't as compartmentalized as that, right? They, these things don't separate out like that. I mean, my, your physical need for food can cause a real fear in you, and those things can overlap. And your lack of shelter can cause a fear or your need for love. Those things can overlap, or something can happen that can make your heart race. So those things tend to overlap. But I'd argue that the spiritual need is not even just one of those things that overlaps with the others. But our spiritual need is something that needs to sort of be like an umbrella over those two things. Because once that spiritual need becomes the focus of what we're doing, those physical needs, it's not that they go away, but it's that they're, they're not the priority. They don't take the demand that we thought they once did. And our emotional needs are definitely met when our spiritual needs are met. So there's a story um, in the Bible. And uh, it's a story of two people who become known as Abraham and Sarah. And there's a long story about Abraham and Sarah. And then there's a part we're going to talk about. And then there's a long story afterwards. But we're only going to talk about one short chapter in their lives. And this is the part where um, God had promised Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And that baby, you are going to be, through that baby, you're going to be the father of many nations. Look up in the heavens, see all the stars. You're going to have as many children as more than there are the stars in the heaven. So that's a promise. The only deal was they were way past childbearing age at the time God made this promise. Okay. So Sarah and Abraham cling on this promise for 10 to 20 years past their childbearing ages. And then Sarah finally gives up on God. And she says, this ain't happening. I know what God told you, Abraham, and that was a really nice thing, but this ain't happening. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. And so Sarah has a handmaiden by the name of Hagar. And Sarah says, Abraham, I want you to sleep with Hagar. And that's how we're going to have many nations, is because she will conceive your child. Do you look at reality TV and say, we have nothing new? I mean, look at what she was doing. I mean, this is the Real Housewives of the Euphrates going on right here. I mean, really bad decisions. My big, my big Israeli tent is happening right here. Wow. This is a bunch of bad decisions Sarah's making. So she encourages Hagar to sleep with Abraham, and Hagar does conceive this child. Well, you've watched enough reality TV, you know what happens then, right? Hagar and Sarah probably aren't going to get along real well anymore, and so the tensions increase, and Hagar becomes a little bit conceited, a little bit prideful, a little bit boastful, and Sarah becomes incredibly angry, jealous, and bitter, and 
for the record, it was her decision, right? We all remember that part of the story. Kind of led us down that trap. But we've done that before where we've made these really horrible decisions that we regret later. So the tension gets so great that Hagar's pregnant and she's so distraught in the house and the tent. And remember, that when we say tent, we're not talking about a few people. I mean, there's hundreds of people that would have been in Abraham's tribe at this point. And um, he would have, she would have had many maidservants serving her. But Hagar gets so filled with the tension that she leaves and she runs away. And she runs out into the middle of the desert. And uh, it's out there that God sends a messenger and says to Hagar, what are you doing out here? Now really, the great God of the universe sends a messenger. Pretty sure the messenger knows exactly why Hagar's out in the middle of the desert. But he asks that question because he wants to have her give the response. To hear herself say, why am I out here? And she says, well, I slept with my boss's wife, my husband, my boss's husband, and that didn't go well, and now I'm expecting the baby, and it's just really stressful, and Sarah hates me. And Moses says, I know. I know. I'm from the God who hears your affliction. I know. You're going to have a child, and this child is going to be the father of many nations. But you need to go back to that tent and be part of that And I don't know what Hagar's initial response is because what we have in the Bible is her response is what she names that place. And so she names the place where this all happened. It's called Elroy, the God who sees me. Because God saw her, knew her, and said, listen, I know exactly why you're here, what you've done, how you've handled yourself, and I also know what you need most of all. And you need most of all to return. So she does return, and she eventually gives birth to Ishmael, who becomes a father of many nations, as does Sarah eventually have Isaac about 14 years later, who becomes the father of many nations. And there's a whole bunch more to that story. But the part about our spiritual need is what Hagar dealt with right in that moment. What did she need most? She needed to be seen. And the messenger said, this is the God who hears your affliction. God already knows our affliction, but there's something about saying it out loud that he hears it and he wants us to say it. He wants us to say it out loud, to identify what's a hurt, what's going wrong. So I was really reading through the story for the past couple months and reading different versions of it and what different speakers would have to say about it and the timeline and really trying to own it. And I kept coming back to the question, so why is it important that we are known? I mean, it sounds a little bit arrogant, you know, for Hagar to say what she needed most was that God knows her. You know, and I knew that that wasn't what we were getting at. I knew that Hagar had been changed there in the desert. And it wasn't about any arrogance about being known that way. And so I just wasn't getting the importance of why is it so important that we are known by God. And uh, so a couple days before Hannah's wedding, and I need to give you just a little bit of a background. Uh, we had lived in Atlanta we had gotten to know David's family really well before Hannah and David was back in their junior high before they even really knew each other. Um, David's dad played in the band with John. David's mom, Janelle, and I, close friends, we served together at church. We did graphic design together. So our families were fairly close, um, especially the moms and dads, and then the kids kind of got to know each other over time. And um, we have a relationship with them that when we visit down there, when we go to Atlanta, we stay with them incredibly close. So when the kids started dating each other, it was really high fives all the way around. <laughs> I didn't even pray for that, but that's awesome. So a couple days before Hannah's wedding, Janelle comes to me and she says, uh, the girls want to throw a little party for Hannah Saturday morning. The wedding is Sunday night. And I thought, oh no. Because I know the girls she's talking about daughter-in-law, her daughter, a couple of Hannah's friends, a couple of their friends that are in the area. And there's a cultural difference. There just is. And one of the other girls had got married recently and at their wedding they'd had like this high tea the day before with all the aunts and grandmas and all that. And it was a beautiful event at a club with linens and it was fancy and it was hours and hours long. And I just remember Hannah coming home afterwards and calling me and saying, wow, that was really hard. You know, she didn't really enjoy it. It wasn't her thing. And then another one had had a, she'd gone to another wedding where they'd had like a champagne brunch. 
and it was equally as fancy and crystal and china and all that. And this is my daughter who we had to beg to wear shoes for the first part of the ceremony. And then she kicked him off during the wedding anyway. So this is the one, this is our daughter who wants to live in Kenya. I mean, wow, we're just so the flower child that she is. And the opposite of champagne, brunches and teas and biscuits. So Janelle says, you know, the girls want to throw a little something for her this Saturday before the wedding. And I looked at Janelle, they're close enough, and I said, oh, I don't think so. And Janelle says, no, no, I got this. Family Hannah's going to marry into. She's going to have to figure this out. So I asked, what, whoops, I'm sorry, I asked, what do you need from me? And she says, well, um, if you could just get Hannah out of the house and come back at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. I said, no problem. So Hannah and I got up. We ran errands. We get back at 10 o'clock, and we come in. And um, Janelle says, why don't you guys just go into the family room? And we walk in, and Hannah has no, no idea this is going on. It's a surprise for her. And we walk in the family room, and two of her bridesmaids had flown in overnight, so she didn't even know they were actually in the area. She knew that they'd probably landed, but they were there to meet her. And we walked into the family room, and Janelle and the girls had hung um, blankets all over, like you do when you're building a fort for your kids. And they'd strung patio lights throughout the whole thing. And uh, Hannah still builds forts all the time. She babysits a lot. And she builds these forts with blankets and quilts, and so walked in and so there's these blankets that you crawl under and we go in and sit down and there's a pallet on the floor and there's four boxes of hot fresh Krispy Kreme donuts oh. and a bowl of fruit and Pepsi which Hannah loves and a couple other things and then the girls started talking about they, they began with uh, let's tell favorite stories of Hannah and David which Hannah's a real storyteller so they sat around and told favorite Hannah David stories and then they got out the gifts they brought for her you know, they'd already had showers for her ahead of time, but these were real personal. Like, one girl had made a trail mix out of stuff Hannah loves. And another one had made one of those um, those soap bombs that you put in the bathtub and they fizz. Well, she'd made a whole bunch of those out of Hannah's favorite fragrances. Hannah made those things. Another one brought a blanket she had knitted that was really soft, but it'd be one that would go, like, on a sofa. And the whole thing was so comfortable. And I just had that moment for my daughter, you know, where I looked at the situation and I, and I looked at Janelle, who was going to be filling in for some roles I can't because she lives in Atlanta and I don't. And I just thought, oh, she knows. She knows her. How much more can Hannah trust her because she knows her? I mean, Janelle knew that tea cups and linens were not going to work for a girl who spills and eats donuts. You know, it's just not a good combination. And because she knows my daughter and loves her as she is, she knew what was needed. And so this is at a much lower level. I understand that than what Hagar and God himself went through. But I understood that that moment, that level of trust between Janelle and I even increased. And I already love Janelle. But I know that she knows my daughter and sees her for who she is. So the importance of being known has to do with trusting. Because God knows me, he knows what I've done, he knows what I'm thinking, he knows my strengths, but he knows my weaknesses. I can trust him in that. It's hard to trust somebody that doesn't know you. We go to a restaurant that has one of those big fancy menus with way too many words on it. And a lot of times I'll just tune out about halfway through reading it and I'll think, John, would you just pick? Because he'll read everything that's in there and he'll read the descriptions all the way through and he'll pick something fabulous. Now, there's a lot of you in this room I would not trust with that decision. <laughs> but he knows me, so I trust him. So when we tie this all back to, get to the beginning where we talk about, you know, what do we deserve? And you go back to Hagar sitting in the middle of this desert, and there's a lot of us that say, you know, she slept with her boss's husband, and she made a million bad choices, and she's prideful, she's arrogant, she's a single mom. There's a lot of us that could meter out some judgment on that and tell her exactly what she deserves. And that's kind of the culture we are. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't give her what she deserves. He gives her what he sees that she needs. 
He sees her. He sees her needs. He meets those needs. And what we all really gain from that is this grace and this understanding of a God who loves us no matter what. You know, to Abby's point earlier, we all cleaned up pretty well this morning. We got ourselves here. Nobody stands too close. We don't know who hasn't showered or not. But we're looking good this morning. We made it. We set aside the crazy of fall, and we made it here. But inside our hearts, there is some stuff that, wow, is still really hard to go through and really hard to deal with. So whatever those needs are, we're not going to finish the sentence, what does every mom need? But we really need to finish that sentence, what do I need today? Do you need that circle of friends? Do you need that tribe? Do you need to be understood? All of those things are needs that fall under one big spiritual need of, well, first of all, we need to know that God sees us and he knows us loves us as we are. And we can trust that. So thanks for having me here. I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer and then let Rachel take over from there. Would you pray with me? God, you know how um, convicting this has been in my own life to know that you know me and I can trust you because of that. Because it's hard to trust sometimes the decisions and the places that I feel you lead us. And Lord, as we begin this time of discussion, it's risky, to be honest. I get that, God. I really do. But in this room, Lord, I ask that you would give us the ability to be incredibly authentic with each other. That we're real, that we're authentic, and that we extend grace in those places that, wow, sometimes it's just hard. So thank you for Hagar's story and the encouragement we draw from that. I lift up this woman to you, and it's in your mighty name we pray. Thank you, Sharon. I think an applause, yeah? Thank you for sharing stories that were just so, so real, too, in your life. Um, Before we take a quick break, does anyone have any questions that you'd like to ask Sharon, um, like, right this minute? Anybody? Are you going to be around for a little bit, Sharon, if anyone wants to talk with you, like, quietly? Okay. Um, So let's take about five minutes and do what you need to do. And then would you come back to your seat and we'll get right into questions. And um, I will interrupt us one more time to move into a time of prayer before it's time to scoot and pick up the kids and move on with the day. So go ahead and take a few minutes, get more food, more drinks, and um, use the restroom.